Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Well, this morning, in the time that we have left for the service, I I want to bring to you a message continuing our series on the Psalms from Psalm 19. And the title of the message is, Our God Speaks to Us. This is the word of God, but as is the case with so many of the Psalms, it's also a word meant to be sung and passed through our own lips. And much of God's word is meant for us to receive and hear and process, but the Psalms were meant to be spoken by us as well. And that's important to remember. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens, and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. This is such a rich psalm, and there is no way in a half hour or so I could possibly do justice to this. So I'm going to just skim a rock over the lake And I hope that each time it hits the water, you will walk away with something this morning because we're not going to be able to dig very deep into this. But I hope it will whet your appetite to dwell, to reflect on this psalm again on your own. I think every Christian has had the experience of a season when God seems very far away and quiet. Now, if you've walked with God for a long time, at some point you'll likely experience what you would consider God speaking to you in some way. Often it is through the eruption of an inner conviction, a peace that settles over you, something that feels legitimately like God is revealing himself and even speaking to you, even though it's not audible in the way we hear each other's voices. And yet there are also times where it feels like it's been forever since you heard God say anything to your heart. You know, I have this thing happen in my house 
quite often, and it's probably the case in your house as well, whether it's between me and the children or me and my wife, where someone will say, hey, I told you to do this, and I'll say this. You never told me that. And as I say it, I feel really justified, but it's a lie. They actually told me that. But the problem was I wasn't hearing. (laughs) See, both sides of it are true in a sense, because as far as I'm concerned, you never told me that. But that's because while you were speaking, I wasn't listening at all. And I'm just reminded that during the times when God seems silent, I share that not to say, well, shame on you. I'm saying it because God may be speaking more often than you realize. And this morning, I want to encourage you by showing you different ways from the psalm that God speaks to us. In one case, he speaks to us in this way 24-7 through everything your eyes can see. So we're going to look at several ways that God speaks to us in our lives. The most common place we look for God is in what's happening to us, in the circumstances of our lives. And that's certainly an important and valid place to look for God is in what happens to you and around you. But if that's the only place you ever look to see if God's there, you're never going to have a full and true picture of God at all, are you? Because God is speaking in more than just the ups and downs of your life situation. He is speaking all the time. So, because I have so little time, I'm just going to rush through this here. Let's get right on with it. God speaks to us through his works. I'm going to go full Baptist today and do three W's. I hope that will help you remember it. God speaks to us through his works. And that's really we're talking about creation. It says that the heavens and the skies, and that's very intentional. The, the mention of both of those is meant to hearken us back to Genesis 1 and the creation story where the heavens and the sky are mentioned very prominently. The message here is this. The heavens and the sky and everything which God has made testify 24 hours a day, seven days a week to the one who made them. It is a always-on message of revelation where God says, if you want to discern me, to hear me, I speak all day long through creation. One of my favorite places on the earth is a place called Barnabas Landing. It's a retreat center on a little island called Keats Island off the coast of Vancouver. And I've mentioned it from time to time. It is outside of my personal home And when I'm together with you, it is the place I would most rather be on earth at every moment of my life. Is that weird to say? It's what they call a thin place where the veil between heaven and earth seems to be very thin. And it's the one place I have consistently felt the closest to God in the last 10 years of my life. It's got glacial bays. This is a view from right outside the dining hall. This is what, whenever I'm on that island, this is what I get to see. It's just so serene. There are snow-capped mountains. You can see Whistler in the background, and you're just looking at this all day. This is my view. This is the desktop wallpaper of my world. And because you guys have released me to minister with the Aero Leadership Program, I get to go to this place like once every year or two for a week. What a gift of God it is to me. And what I love about it is not just water and mountains, but there's this old growth forest with these amazing trails, even trails that aren't trails that I've gotten lost on and terrified and found my way out of. 
But God meets me even on those trails. And I got to tell you, I'm not normally a guy who's always out in nature. I'm usually just at a desk in front of a computer or a book. But when I'm there, creation speaks to me. And that's really what the psalm is saying, is 24-7 without words, in much the same way that a work of art cannot speak to you with words, but it's still, you can say of a work of art, that speaks to me. It says something to me. It touches me in a really profound way. And that's the way in which I truly believe that creation speaks of God, speaks for God. It's not in distinct words. You're not going to learn finer points of doctrine and theology by walking in the woods. So if that's the only way you connect to God, um, you've got to up your game just a little because you're gonna, it's good. It's just not enough to be the end of it. So if you say, yeah, I have quiet time. Every day I take a walk on the nature trail. Add another. We'll get to that. <laughs> but it's still a wonderful way to develop what I would call feelings and impressions about the one who made it. When you look at any piece of art, you get a sense of something innate about the, the person, the hands, the eyes, the mind, the heart that created it. There is a message I preached back in January of 2009, about 10 years ago, called Creation, in which I really developed this idea more fully of how God's creation reveals a lot about his personality. And I would invite you to listen to that if you didn't hear it the first time around. Some of the things that we see in creation are just the scale. Of, oh, by the way, that's, look at that. That's where, where I'm eating lunch outside. That's what I get to look at, sailboats. and Anyway, good Lord. The scale of his creation tells us something about him. Do you, do you recognize that? That's from the Hubble telescope. It's the horse head nebula. And I know that looks to you like just a cloud with a weird little eruption that looks like a horse's head. That thing is about three to four light years tall. It's three to eight times the size of our solar system. And it's just a little horse's head popping out in one remote corner of the universe. The scale of it speaks to something about God, which we absolutely have to remember because we shrink God every day. He's only the God of my drama, my ups and downs, my little world. And we have to always zoom out and remember that same God who hears my prayer is a God who oversees and made all of this. There's the diversity of his creation. I think this is so important. If there's any argument for celebrating diversity, it's not man's love for man. It's not human compassion and kindness because that is so fallible, so short-lived, so subjective. It is that God loves diversity. Look around this room. None of us look like the others exactly. And I think God loves that. He loves the variety of what he's made. There's beauty. I, I, I spent 30 minutes looking for a picture that I thought would be beautiful. I just couldn't find it, so I just picked them because I was wasting too much time. But if you look around, there's so much beauty in creation. One of the most beautiful things, I think, in this whole world is the face of a baby. Really, any baby. When you see a baby sleeping, there's beauty. Such beauty in that. And then there's just the raw power. There are times when you see something in creation of such raw power, you're reminded what real power looks like. 
even the fact that the sun rises and sets faithfully every day and sheds its light and its warmth on every place and on every creature and every person without prejudice points something to the nature and the heart of God. I, I don't know when's the last time you connected with nature. If you live in Chicagoland, that's a challenge, isn't it? It's a, I can't tell you how many times I've traveled, especially to Vancouver, walking through Stanley Park, and I, I say to myself as I'm coming home, why do I live in Chicago again? And then I come home and see you guys, and I remember it's never the land. It's always been the people. There are so many other places I'd rather live, but the people keep me here. And yet, even if you drive just 30 minutes outside of where you live, you can connect with creation in some pretty interesting ways. Not everybody reacts to nature with the same sense of awe and wonder, but I think that has more to do with the fact that we live in this media-rich, screen-centered culture that has trained us to glance passively, and we're all forgetting how to actually see things, to really look. Remember a couple weeks ago I mentioned just taking selfies, and you stand in front of something as magnificent as the Grand Canyon, and your first thought is, oh, what a great background for a picture of me. Like That's your first thought is I'm going to take another photo of me while this magnificent vista serves as the backdrop for my face. I think it's a reminder that we're all forgetting how to see. And I believe that we're going to appreciate God in creation most when we put down the phone, drop the camera, and just sit in that place and look. Really look. Just go to any tourist attraction, any natural formation, canyon, whatever, and what you'll find is that 99% of the people are holding a device up, either looking at it or taking a picture of it. And I want to say, maybe the capturing of a photo you will never look at again is robbing you of the opportunity to see what's right in front of you and is testifying to the God who made you. And that moment of looking at a canyon or a forest or a waterfall may be the most important moment of that day for God to speak to you. I think this is a strong argument for travel because familiarity breeds contempt. It's one of the greatest excuses to travel is to see more of creation in ways that jar you and grab your attention and speak to the diversity of ways that God has filled and shaped this world we live in. Let me give you a second way that God speaks. Some of you are already doing well with this creation thing. You're out there all the time. That's awesome. I'm envious of you. Keep it up. A second way, though, that God speaks is through his word. Really, we just call it the word, but it's really his words. And if you're on the Bible reading plan, you know that his word has a lot of words. It's a lot. Maybe you recognize this painting. Do you guys all recognize this? This is, who can name it? Yeah, The Starry Night by Van Gogh, arguably his most famous work, valued an estimated maybe 150 to $300 million conservatively for that one painting. We all know about this painting, and I remember the first time as a kid I saw it, I'm like, that looks like a child drew it. I, I don't understand why it's so famous. I thought I could do it. But the more I do art, the more I realize when you finish a composition and something about it just clicks and it feels right, that's a really hard thing to achieve. What you may not know about this painting 
is that Van Gogh painted it shortly after he checked himself into a mental asylum because of a breakdown that led him to cut off his ear, if you remember that story. It was this asylum in Provence. I mean, if you're going to be in an asylum anywhere, that's a pretty awesome place to be in an asylum. He checked himself involuntarily, and he sat and looked out the window at the night sky, and he painted it one day as a little study in painting stars. And, and here's the thing. When you look at the painting itself, you can, it evokes a lot of images and feelings. You can draw a lot of inferences about the person who made it. But it's not until you hear directly from his words what he thought of that painting that the fullness of the story, a real sense of meaning and truth comes out of it. What I find as I delve into that painting is that Van Gogh wrote a lot of letters mentioning a lot of his paintings and the way he felt about them, but he almost never wrote a thing about the starry night. It was an afterthought. It was one of those little practice doodles that he was like, yeah, one night I was looking out and I made some stars and I even painted a village that wasn't even there. I just put it in there in my head. He named explicitly the eight or nine paintings that really he loved and thought were good during that time in the asylum, and this was never mentioned. The only time it's really mentioned is in a letter to one of his fellow artists where he says, I think that, that painting is a failure. Only his most famous work. Isn't that just the way it goes? The things you're most proud of, no one remembers. And it's that one junket, and you're like, oh, that's his best work. No, it's not. Why do I share that story? Because a work of art, a created thing, can evoke all kinds of strong feelings, and you can be there looking at it and believe truly that you've understood the person. But it isn't until words are spoken that real clarity and truth comes out. It's so important to remember that when you just look at a thing, you can come at some kind of truth, understanding knowledge, but it isn't until words are spoken or exchanged that real clarity can come into any relationship. The psalmist here lists a number of things that are true of the word of God, blessings, descriptions of God's word. There are so many here, there's no way I'm going to be able to treat all of them, okay? And so I want to just dive down to just one of these things to give you a sense of how God speaks to us through the scriptures and how if we miss it, you can spend a lot of time reading the words and at the same time miss the actual words, and the voice of God in your life. The first thing it says is the law of the Lord is perfect. That word perfect really just means complete. It's lacking nothing. It has everything you need to have a relationship with God, to know what you need to know about him, to be a human being who walks with God. But here's what it says about the effects of that perfect word on us, that it refreshes the soul. That word refreshes is a very interesting word in Hebrew. The Hebrew word is shuv. Do you know this word? Have I ever mentioned the word shuv? It was a very important word in the book of Jonah. And if you recall, I preached not too long ago on the book of Jonah. The word shuv basically means to turn. It described the way the sailors, when the storm came, tried to turn the boat furiously around back to shore. It's turning. Or it describes the way that the people of Nineveh turned away from their sinful ways and repented. It also refers to the way that God turned away from his anger and decided not to destroy the city. It's not a subtle word. It's a word that says, I was going this way and then I went this way. And though the, um, the English translators chose the word 
refresh. That's one valid meaning. The other more common meaning of that same word shuv is to repent. It means both of those things. How could the same word mean refresh and repent? It's simple. The idea is that the word of God never leaves you exactly as you are. It has a profound effect on you. It turns you in some way. And here's the way it works. If what you need is true refreshing, a turning from despair, dismay, anger, whatever it is, and if you are in alignment with the word of God, the effect on your heart will be that you'll be uplifted, refreshed. You will feel that. One of the signs that you're in alignment with God's word is that there is a discernible refreshment that comes to your soul. Even if no circumstance in your life changes, the word of God itself speaking to you, saying, I know how hard it is. I know you're still stuck in your situation, but your heart is in alignment with my heart. It pleases me. And that refreshes even more than vindication. It refreshes even more than an apology. It refreshes more than my situation changing, my, my body no longer being sick, or that whatever it is I'm asking for, even if nothing changes, the word of God saying to you, you're doing exactly as I want. Your heart is shaped like my heart. I'm pleased with you. And when you hear the voice of God affirm you in this way, it shoves your heart. If you can still hang on to your despair and your anguish and your unforgiveness and anger and all those things, and you still feel them heavy after you sat with God's word, then I ask you to stay longer with it. Listen for it. Because here's the other thing. Sometimes we read it, hear the words, and our hearts aren't refreshed because what God is saying to us is, you're not in alignment with me, even though you believe you are. Even though you could justify yourself, defend yourself, you are not in alignment with me, and I don't want you to experience the shoving up of my word. I want you to experience the shoving down of my word. I want to turn you away from your course because if you stick to your guns, you hold the present course, you are headed for a bad place. No one else can turn you when you're in that state of mind. I know that because no one else can turn me. The only power that can turn me when I'm convinced that I'm right, but I'm actually wrong, is the word and the voice of the living God. Others have tried. I'm sure I've punished you plenty for trying. But who can correct us when we need correction? How many of you have tried to correct someone, and you're like, I'm never trying that again? It just stinks. There's no point. I'm just going to have to live with them just like that. But the word of God is so powerful, so complete. It has the power to shove us up if that's what we need or down if that's what we need. Either way, you cannot truly hear the voice of God through his word and be like, eh, whatever. I'm just going to sit here right as I am. That's a sure sign that you've read words and not heard the voice of the God who loves you. In any relationship, we can make all kinds of assumptions and inferences from a distance. It isn't until a person speaks in their own words that you begin to really understand what they're like. But here's the thing. The psalmist also goes on to say that they are more precious than gold and sweeter 
than honey from the honeycomb. Would you raise your hand if you've ever tasted fresh honey on the honeycomb? Yeah. This, this is a dessert that I ate about three years ago. And it might be because I was eating it on Barnabas Landing, my favorite place on earth. But it is the most mind-blowing thing that I've ever had for dessert in my life. It's, that's a chunk of fresh honeycomb right off of the... They have beekeepers there on the island who grow their own honey. And they put that on top of this bed of something, some kind of cheese. And I thought I knew what sweet was till I ate that. And that just brought some fresh meaning to me that the word of God isn't just some moral measuring stick. It's not life's instruction manual, and it's not the rule book or handbook for the people of God. It's so much more than that. It's something we treasure and savor. It's something we prize because we prize the one who speaks those words. It's very much like a love letter. And I've said this before. You don't prize a love letter from someone else to someone else. You only prize a love letter to you. If I stumbled upon a box of love letters that someone had written to you, other than some salacious curiosity, I would be like, what the, who cares? But if it's a love letter written to me, it means something different because I treasure the one who wrote it. This is the sense in which we're meant to interact with the word of God. Is It's not just something that corrects us or shapes us, but it's the voice of a heavenly father who we treasure and love. And you'll know that that's the way you see him when the way you increasingly feel about his words are you savor them. I think when my kids were little, they loved the sound of my voice. As they grew older, they just sat there and waited for my voice to stop making sounds. Do you know that, that look when your kid's like, are, are you almost done? And, you know, when they say that, you're like, oh, I'm just getting started. I'm, you'll be prisoner for another hour because you said that. And you realize something can shift in the way you treasure a voice. You know you treasure the voice when you treasure the person making those sounds. So it's not a textbook, but it's also the writings of one who loves you and treasures you and wants you to treasure him. When's the last time God spoke to you really that way through his word so that the way you looked at your Bible is the way I feel looking at that, savoring it, yearning for it, treasuring it? It happens every now and then. I would love for it to happen even more often for me. And finally, God does speak to us through his whisper. Some of us grew up with mothers or fathers who yelled a lot. Amen? Some of us are mothers and fathers who yell a lot. Our kids won't remember our words. They will remember the volume with which we spoke so many things to them. It all sounds like this, Yar! a Viking yell. They can't discern actual words. And maybe because we grew up under a home like that, we assume that when God speaks, it's the same kind of thing. Some of us hear God say everything in the voice of our earthly fathers. Sarcastic, judgmental, angry, critical, disappointed. What's amazing to me is that most often, when he's saying something important, God whispers. He doesn't shout. 
That's a strange strategy. I remember the first time I saw a kindergarten teacher say at a, a public zoo, if you can hear the sound of my voice, snap once. I'm like, that's not going to work. And I saw two kids run her. And then she goes, if you can hear the sound. I'm like, this is not going to work. By the third time, every kid is, cl- is snapping or clapping. And it's silent. And I realize that sometimes shouting is easier to ignore than a whisper. A whisper makes you draw close. What? What? What would you say? Shouting is like, are you almost done? Whispering is like, what? What are you saying? And it matters to God that we're listening because I don't think God enjoys wasting his words on those who have their fingers in their ears. Here's where it's really important to hear the whisper of God. The psalmist confesses, I've got errors that I can't discern on my own. How many of you guys know that's true? There are faults that are hidden in you, either because you hide them or because you don't even realize they're your faults. Do you know that the... Here's the truth, okay? I've talked to so many people at this church. I know we are very open and willing to acknowledge our shortcomings. I appreciate that so much about this congregation. It's a church filled with people who are ready to say, you know, I own that. I, I know I'm like this. Here's the thing that it's so important for all of us to know. Even when we are that way, the faults and the flaws and the errors in us that we're willing to admit are not the only flaws and faults and errors that we have. Do you get that? I'm willing to own this much, but what if there's stuff I'm not willing to admit that is still there? And you know who knows what those hidden things are? God and probably a lot of your friends and family. You want to test the theory of whether you're the faults you own are the only ones you have? Uh, you want to test it? Start asking around. Hey, is there anything in me that you feel like you want to say but you don't want to take the risk or you feel like I won't receive well? Anything that you feel like I'm not self-aware about? I- I'm being facetious when I say give it a try. Prepare yourself. Don't try this at home unless you're ready because it will yield information you will not enjoy hearing. I've asked it of people, and I've hated. I wish it was a stronger English word than hated. I absolutely hated how it made me feel. My first impulse was to go, you're all just stupid. I understand now. Thanks for clearing that up. Oh, I didn't know just how blind you were until you just opened your mouth. I know it feels that way. I'm identifying with that because I feel that way. But the things we're willing to admit are not the only things we need to admit. Problem is, another human being can't really get you to see it. Because every other human being is as flawed as you are. And at the end of the day, I don't take lessons from people who play about as well as I do. Do you get what I'm saying? You don't say to someone, you're a mediocre tennis player. You want to give me some tips? No. And so the only one who can give me that correction is God. And when he's doing it, he rarely shouts. He almost always whispers. You know what I'm talking about because every once in a while, when I'm taking a shower or driving in my car, I hear this weird, it's like, Dave. 
And I feel it. I sense it. I'm discerning it. And I want so badly to reject it. No, no, I'm not going to go there. I was right. They were wrong. There's no way I'm going to make allowance in this world for that to have been okay. And maybe it's not okay what the other person did. But he's talking to me about me. He said to me, you really hurt the person who just came to see you for help. I don't know if you realize you did that. You meant well, but you really hurt that person. And I get grieved and pierced when I sense that in my spirit. It's amazing how gently but insistently God whispers things like that to us. And the real question is, are you listening because he is speaking those things to you? He's saying the things to you most people will never say to you. He's got courage. He's got the moral authority. He's got the love for you to say those things. Are you willing to hear God even if we're not willing to hear anyone else? Let me close with an analogy that may help you tie it all together. I see in this psalm through creation and through the word of God in scripture and through the whisper of the Holy Spirit, this kind of analogy for the progressive way a child might get to know their earthly father. You know, when you're a newborn, what really do you know about the world, right? I mean, newborns are, are kind of simple, aren't they? And so when you're a very, very young baby, the way you perceive your earthly father is very much the way we perceive our heavenly father by looking at nature. It's vague impressions, feelings. What do you remember from your childhood, very early childhood, or from your baby stages about your daddy? You probably don't remember a lot of details, but here's the things I remember. I remember the smell of Pierre Cardin cologne. Some of you, it was Old Spice, right? I think every dad for a period of time wore Old Spice or Aqua Velva. You just walk past someone smelling, and suddenly what happens? It evokes strong emotions and memories, doesn't it? You remember the sound of his voice, how big he seemed, how powerful he appeared. My kids actually thought I was the strongest. Look at me. They actually thought I was super strong, like there's nothing daddy can't lift. They know better now (laughs) because they've seen other people. But when they were very little, all they knew was daddy's huge. I was the world they lived in. They remember what it felt like to be picked up by me, held for an hour by me. That's the kind of knowing we get out in nature. What do you like? What do you feel like? What is your scent? Your voice. And you hear his voice in the thunder, in the booming of a waterfall, in the babbling brook, in the song of a bird. These impressions give you the sense of your father. But then as you get older, daddy picks you up and holds you a lot less and he talks to you a whole lot more. And I know that for most kids, they endure their father's voice rather than hearing their father's voice. But blessed is the child who will listen to his father's instruction. And I'll tell you that some of our deepest convictions are shaped by what our mothers and fathers repeated incessantly. I finish my food no matter how full I am because of my mom. I eat extra healthy whenever I can because of her influence. 
Whenever I'm tempted to take a shortcut, I don't because my dad shaped me differently. I can't tell you how many times I've said with warmth and conviction, I was raised to blank. I was raised to open doors for others. I was raised to whatever. Words make a person knowable. They distinguish that person from all other persons. Every adult makes noises from their mouth, but the words of my father make him distinctly him. And he says things that are different than other fathers. And that's the power of scripture for us too, is that when our father speaks, he speaks a different word than every other word you'll hear. His voice is distinct, and when you know his words and hear them, he will make himself known to you in a way that nature cannot. And if all of that has gone well, and the voice of your heavenly father, just like your earthly father, has been instilled deep down into who you are, isn't that every parent's dream, is that I would impart something of my deepest character, conviction, heart into you, so that you will be like a mini-me walking around the world, saying, I sacrificed because my daddy sacrificed. I work hard because my mom showed me what work ethic looks like. I forgive easily because my parents always let me off the hook. And if that all went well, then the voice of the father and the voice of the child become intermingled, don't they? Where sometimes in the echoes of your mind and your heart, you actually hear in your own voice the words of your father or mother. here as you're doing something that's just what I would have done or you hear that's not who you are you're better than that or you hear measure twice and cut once I don't know what you hear from your daddy's voice but if all has gone well and you have truly come to know your father your father's voice and your voice start to become indistinguishable because you have become like him. The psalm ends with these words, this pledge and and the cry of a heart. May these words that come out of my mouth and the meditations that swirl around all day long in my heart, those things that I stew on and turn over and over and obsess about, may those things, the words and the meditations be pleasing to you and not just to me. I hear that child saying in the quiet of a moment, I hope I make you proud, Daddy. God may seem silent at times, but he isn't. He speaks. And like a child that comes to know their earthly father, if you will listen for his voice, he will speak to you in some of the most unlikely places. Get out there in his creation. Take your eyes off the screen and look at the world your father has made. Sit in front of your Bible, not as a duty or a textbook, but as the words of your father in heaven who is shaping your heart to be like his. And one day, in the quiet of your heart, 
you will hear him speak through your own inner voice and you will realize that I have become like him. invite us as the worship team comes up to just bow in prayer. Let's respond to that. Once we decide in our heart that God stopped talking, we also make a decision to stop listening. But what if this morning what God wants to say to you is, unplug your ears, I'm still talking. And the things that I'm saying, which you're not hearing, could save your life and your family. What keeps us from hearing the voice of God? Let's confront that in our heart of hearts now. And let's ask him to keep speaking. And whatever you need to do to get where God is speaking this week, do that. So I'm going to give you a moment sitting before God to respond to him from where you are now. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Lord, shape our hearts so that your voice will become the most welcome and sweetest sound. We confess that too often we are like a resistant child who endures the voice of our Father. When like every good father, what you long for is to impart the best of you into us. To shape us in your image. Help us not to resist you. You're speaking always. So we pray that you will incline us to listen, to actively listen and look for you and for your voice everywhere. We believe in faith that you never stop speaking. And so we ask that you will give us ears to hear. And as you speak and we receive, let your words make us come to life in the places where we're dead. Restore hope and change us. And when your word needs to do a more abrasive work. Be gentle with us, 
but be firm until the work is done. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know what kind of relationship you have or you had with your earthly father, but your heavenly father is a good, good father. He wants to speak to you because he wants to shape your heart to be like his. And he's speaking all the time. May he give you ears that are open and a heart willing to hear because he will give you words that lead to life and save you from so much unneeded pain. May his voice be the sweetest sound and his words be the sweetest thing you take in. Name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Be blessed now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.